Well, I want to invite you, in just a few moments, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 5, and you can turn there. We'll begin with, beginning with verse 15 in just a few moments. Uh, but before we get to that, I just want to make a couple um, small announcements this morning. Uh, one of them is if you're interested in the men's Bible study as, and our men's community group, in which uh, we're using um, just some clips from the, the movie Courageous kind of throughout that study, uh, those books are available in the foyer. They're $15. It's for actually two books. And so I'd encourage you to make sure you, you purchase those this week or next week, um, because then it would start the week after that. So hopefully you'll, you'll be a participant in that uh, coming up here soon. And also, all these points set, as you see in these, well, I mean, not everyone in the building, but these three sections here, um, they're actually real, and they've been watered, and, and someone even stole one already, even though I said they had to wait till after the second service. Um, people don't listen. You all know that, because you've already checked out anyway. Um, but I hope you will take them home if you would be interested in them. Take one or two of them and, and plant them or whatever you do with plants and flowers because I don't know what you do with them. Um, they die in our house or we throw them away. So um, hopefully you'll take them and, and use them well. But please take them at the end of the service today. We'd love for you to, to have those. I hope today you've made your New Year's resolutions and they're ones that are really, really good. I only made one for three weeks in January. I didn't want to go all... all all the year, because I knew I wouldn't make it. Um, I'm not having any dessert until like the third week of January, so we'll see if I can make it that far. I didn't want to go to February, because I knew I wouldn't make it, so why try? Um, I don't know what your New Year's resolutions are, but I hope they're better than that, and they're good, and you're going to follow through on them. But we've been talking last week, and we'll continue to talk this week and next week about this idea of stewardship, that we all stewards of something, that we take care of something, that we've been entrusted something. As we read a passage last week that we'll read again today and probably again next week uh, from the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, and it's a part of the kind of the creation story, and here's what the writer of Genesis says, beginning with verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. In other words, from the beginning, God entrusted everything in the created world to us, to people. Now, I know if you're thinking like I am, that that seems like a really bad idea. We would probably screw it up. Well, we did screw it up, but that was God's plan and his intention anyway. We also read from 1 Corinthians 3 last night, or last week, this line that just says that we are God's co-workers in God's service. In other words, God, for whatever reason, has chosen to use you and I in his work in the world. In his redemption of all things, God chooses to use you and I. This we call stewardship. So that we're to be entrusted to oversee something, to take care of something. And we, we talked last week about the idea that, that each of us have gifts and talents, and we're called to use those in the work of the kingdom. And that can be in our jobs, that can be in our homes, and that can be in the life of a local church. But we're called to use our gifts and our talents for others, not just for us, because that's called hoarding if we use it just for ourselves. And so this week we're going to talk um, some about 
time, how we invest our time, how we are stewards of our time. And next week, we'll talk about our treasure or our stuff, our money, our resources that we have, um, our tangible things. Are we good stewards of those? So I do want to say today that if you aren't sure you believe in Jesus, if you're not sure that you want to be a part of the whole church thing, if you're not sure where you stand in that, I, I do believe this morning that you'll find that if you were to th- to think through and think about being a steward of your time, of your treasure, and your talent, you still find some value in thinking through that and beginning to look at that. Even if you're not so sure about the Jesus thing, we find that if we invested our time wisely, we'd probably get better returns. And so we'll continue this conversation on, on talents in just a moment, but maybe you're like me or my family where you had great plans for the Christmas season. You were going to do this and this and this. You were going to go to that city or that place. You were going to go to this new restaurant that you had never tried. You were going to do this with your kids or your grandkids. And maybe none of those things happened. And now you're saying, well, someday we'll get to those things. But have you noticed how time seems to be fleeting? And maybe you're saying today, we're going to cram in a whole bunch of activities this afternoon because our kids go back to school tomorrow. And part of you is saying, thank you, Jesus. And the other part of you is saying, ah, we didn't get everything done that we wanted to get done. And so this is the struggle that we find with time, is it seems to go so fast. Or maybe you're like me. You started thinking about how, you know, you want to make sure that you're using your time wisely, and so you you think you want to make sure that, for me, I want to make sure the church and and that my job here gets a good amount of time, that that no one will ever accuse me of not working hard, so that matters to me, so I want to make sure I put in plenty of time there. And then you begin thinking about that, making sure that, well, I don't want my family to get cheated in that, so I want to make sure that I give them a good amount of time. So I want to make sure my kids feel like their dad loves them and my wife thinks the same thing. I want to make sure they get time. But then I realize if I'm not careful, I won't take care of myself, so I know I need to exercise because I don't eat as well as I should, and I'm probably not going to cut back on that. So I have to increase the exercise to compensate for that as I get older. So if that's not going to work, I need more time for other stuff. Well, the other stuff then... I know that spending time with God is the most important thing in my life, so I've got to make sure I set aside time for that. And then I probably need to set aside time so I can think about the time that I'm spending. I don't know if your life sounds anything like that, but that's kind of how I feel almost every single day. Am I using it wisely? Or maybe you've begun to do this. You find yourself doing something. Maybe it's surfing the internet. Maybe it's playing some kind of game. And you sit there, and all of a sudden you look down, and you realize hours have passed. Maybe, hopefully it wasn't at work. Hopefully it was somewhere else other than work. But, but you'll sit down, and all of a sudden you'll go, where did the time go? And I don't know if you realize this, but the average person with a smartphone, I don't, I don't know if you knew that, um, the average person spends about 2 hours and 59 minutes per day on their phone. Now, for some of them, it's work-related, but for some of them, it's not work-related. They just like to play. I found myself guilty of that this week. I deleted an app on my phone. I have to blame Andrew DeYoung for telling me about the app. It was a Monopoly app. I really like to play Monopoly. And I had to delete it this week because my wife said, Aaron, you're not engaging with the rest of us. And then I felt guilty, so I deleted it. So I can't say I have that game any longer because it probably took too, more, too much importance for a few minutes. And then I started thinking about how New Year's Day I was going to be preaching this message about time and I watched nine hours at least of football. Starting at 1 o'clock, it was probably 10.30 or 11 before I gave up because the last game was awful, and I just thought, why am I going to stay up and watch this? And so that leads me to this next line, that did you know most kids in America watch 24 hours of television per week? Just so you know, that's 52 days a year. 
Unless you think that's bad, most adults watch at least five hours of television per day. Do you want to know what, what that equates to? That's 76 days per year. That's one year out of five. Most men live to the age of 74. Most women live to the age of 77. Those are the averages right now. That means in your lifetime, you'll watch 10 to 15 hours of television. Or 10 to 15 years. I'm sorry, not hours. You can do that in a week, weekend. You'll average 10 to 15 years of your life in front of a television. Most people. That's the average. I mean, some people will spend more than that. Some, thankfully, less. One of the things that I can say to you this morning, we'll mention this a little bit later, is I don't know the size of your wallet because everyone's wallet's probably different. Everyone makes a different amount of income, but each of us have the same number of minutes in every hour and the same number of hours in every day. Now, I can't say you're going to have the same number of years, but I can say you have the same number of days in your years as everyone else. See, time maybe is our most precious resource. How we invest our time is a reflection of our values. How we invest our time is a reflection of what we, we really care about. And so the scriptures really have all kinds of moments in which they address how we spend our time. And so we're going to read this morning from Ephesians chapter 5, and I'll invite you to stand as we read this together. Um, just a reminder, as you leave today, there are tickets that will be at the doors that you can take and give to your friends to invite them to come Saturday. Paul writes these words, he writes them while he's in prison. My guess is he probably has more time than he's ever had before. But here's what he writes beginning with verse 15 in chapter 5. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now Paul begins with this line, Do not be unwise, but be wise. Do not be unwise, but be wise. And wisdom is one of those things that's kind of subjective, right? We're not really sure what wisdom is. We know that there are some people who are really, really smart. And we've met some really, really smart people who are really not that wise. I've met some really dumb people who actually have lots of wisdom. I've also met some really dumb people who have zero wisdom. So that doesn't necessarily mean anything. But wisdom is somewhat subjective because we usually look at someone else's life and we think, well, they've made these great decisions that have led to these great results. Other times we look at someone's life and they keep thinking, I don't know why this stuff keeps happening to me. And you look at the decisions they've made in their life and you're going, how do you not see what's happened to you? I don't understand how you don't understand that all the decisions you have made have led to where you are today. See, in the Bible there's a character, Solomon, who's said to be the most wise man that ever lived. There's this moment when Solomon becomes king and he, God asks him in this kind of dream, what, what do you want? If I could give you one thing, what would it be? And he says, well, wisdom. He didn't choose money, he didn't choose, choose those kind of things, but he chose wisdom. So while Solomon was king, the nation of Israel grew in wealth, was beyond what which it ever had. Maybe it was the wealthiest empire ever, actually. Some debate on that. It grew in every kind of way that you would want to as a nation. It was, it was the pinnacle of power in its day. 
But Solomon, in all his wisdom, and we can see all throughout the scriptures where Solomon made some really wise things. He wrote the Song of Solomon. He wrote some of the Proverbs. He wrote some other of the Psalms. I mean, he, he did some pretty incredible things. But later on in his life, it said of Solomon that his heart was turned from the Lord. He was led astray. So for all his wisdom, he was wooed by all the various women in his life. And I don't know whether he loved them all or he just lusted after more of them, but women led him away. So in all his wisdom, he made some really poor choices. In fact, it said of Solomon, his wealth every year was 666 talents of gold. Now, I don't know about you, but, but in my bank account, it's never the exact same number at the end of every year. It goes up or it goes down. I wish it would go up more, but it usually doesn't. It usually goes down, right? That's kind of how that works for most of us. But the number was the same every year, and so the writer of 1 Kings isn't trying to tell us that, that Solomon had the same amount of gold every year, because that's pretty much impossible. What he's trying to tell us is no matter how much more wealth Solomon amassed, it was never enough, because at some point in all his wisdom, Solomon began seeking after the wrong things. And so the number 666 is to represent the number of incompletion. See, the number of completion in the Jewish world would have been seven. So if we're going to say that Solomon had all the gold he could ever want, he would have had 777 talents of gold. But instead, he has 666, which is as far from seven as you can ever get. In other words, in all his wisdom, he amassed the things that didn't matter. So much so that in all his wisdom, at the end of his life, his kingdom was split in two. On his death, the kingdom split. So for all the wisdom he may have had in some areas, he lacked wisdom in some areas that really, really mattered. And so I came across this line a couple years ago that I, I try to use on a regular basis. It's this. It's this kind of question that we would ask ourselves in terms of wisdom. In light of your past decisions, your present situation, and your future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? In light of your past decisions, in light of your present situation, and what you hope for your future to be, what is the wise thing to do? And maybe right now you're beginning to ask the question, if we're talking about time, why does wisdom matter? Why does wisdom factor in? Because Paul's next line from, do not be unwise, but be wise, is this, make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. See, like I said earlier, there's only so much time in every single day. Each of us only have so much time. No matter how much we wish there was more time in the day, there isn't. There are constant pressures in our life of trying to balance certain things and make sure we spend time in the right ways. And some days we feel like we did a good job of that. And other days we feel like we may have wasted opportunities. And we're never really sure what the difference is, but how do we make the most of every opportunity? And I could try to go through and point out all the places in the scripture where it kind of gives good models of that. But really, I want to say it this way this morning, that if you were to go and look at the life of Jesus through the four Gospels, he really tries to give us a model of what it looks like to make the most of every opportunity, to live not as unwise, but as wise. See, in Jesus' life, we get a model of, of some things. What we see probably him do as much as anything in the scriptures is he gets away to pray. Now, I want to encourage you that you make prayer an important part of your life. I really hope you'll participate in our 24 hours of prayer. I hope you'll find that there's value in prayer because God doesn't ever seem to work in places among people unless it was bathed in prayer. All the great movements of the church have started out of a place of prayer. So I would encourage you to participate with us in prayer. But Jesus goes off and he prays. He does this alone and he does it with his disciples. He does both. We also see Jesus lots of times celebrating with other people. Sometimes it's a party. 
The first miracle Jesus ever did was he performed was turning water into wine at a wedding feast, at a celebration. We see him go to Zacchaeus' house and throw a party, and that's why he was accused of being a drunkard. He wasn't, but he just hung out with people who were having a good time. This is the challenge for us. Or do we celebrate enough in our life? Are we more serious than we should be? And I can be guilty of that at times. The other thing, we, other thing we see Jesus do often, which is a great thing, I think it's a really great thing, is to see him take naps. I'm, you think I'm joking. I'm dead serious. You think a guy wasn't exhausted during the middle of a storm? He's in a boat sleeping when the boat's rocking like crazy, and the disciples are probably getting seasick on the deck, and they come and wake him up, and they go, Jesus, won't you come up here and calm this storm? Do something. The dude had to have been pretty tired if he can sleep through that. Sometimes we forget how important it is to rest, and we don't do enough of it. <clears throat> now, for some of us, we do too much resting, and you need to get up. I'm not sure which is which, so I'll be careful to say. We see other moments in which he's healing people, he's doing ministry, he's actively working in some type of way. We'll also see some moments where in the midst of doing ministry, he would sneak away because he knew he needed time to kind of recharge because if he was so run down, he'd have nothing to offer anyone else. Jesus modeled not just a balanced life or the idea of a balanced life, but he modeled that we should make the most of every opportunity. We never know when we'll have the next one. We never know what the next opportunity will be. So if we don't take advantage of the one in front of us, then who knows what will happen. Paul isn't writing about a balanced life, and I know we sometimes talk about wanting balance in our lives, and balance isn't bad unless we're not making the most of every opportunity. Sometimes life takes us in directions to sheer exhaustion before we find a way to find rest. That's not always bad. It's unsustainable long-term, but for moments and for seasons, sometimes it's good for us to work a little more or to spend more time with our family or to find ourselves sleeping less. It's not always a bad thing. But we want to make sure we make the most of every opportunity. So if the opportunity we need in life is a nap, take it. So if you call me this afternoon, I probably won't answer because I'll probably be asleep. Um, but wisdom is what helps us discern if we're making the most of every opportunity. Wisdom is what helps us decide, are we, are we moving in the right direction? Are we taking advantage of our time? Are we stewards of our time? Or are we wasteful with our time? Paul writes to the next, he says that we will know whether we're wise or unwise. We'll make the most of opportunity, every opportunity if we follow God's will. In other words, are we living every moment of life as an act of worship to God? Are we living every moment trying to seize the opportunity? Or do we live every moment with no thought to the future, no thought to the past, no real thought to the present? Are we using wisdom in how we choose to live? See, the stewardship of our time is really, really important because it's a finite resource. It diminishes. It never increases. All of us, every single one of us, every second of every single day, we have less time to live than we had before. That's the way time works. There's no way around that. For each of us, that's the reality in which we live. There is no more time tomorrow than we had today. No matter how much we wish there was more, there isn't. So Paul's saying this, to know God's will or seek after God's will, follow God's will. What is God's will? How in the world do we have any idea what God's will in our lives is? 
And I guess I would summarize it in these ways. I think you can summarize most of the Gospels in, in kind of a few statements. We see multiple times Jesus invites someone into a relationship with him, and he uses this phrase. It's just two words. He just says, follow me. We make the most of every opportunity. We are wise, but not unwise. Or we're not unwise, we're wise if we follow him. That's how we know God's will, by following after Jesus. And then he says other places, go and make disciples. So we begin to summarize what God's will is in this way, to follow him, follow Jesus, to go and make disciples, and then here, how do we do that? Here's how we do this. The greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So we want to know what God's will is. It looks like this, to follow him, to go and make disciples, to love him with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor and ourselves. To summarize it even further, it's to follow him, go and make disciples, love God, and love others. Are we making the most of every opportunity in our life? Are we doing those things? And what does that look like in a practical sense for us? Nearly every single morning, my kids ask me a particular question before I leave the house. And Isaac usually asks it first, and he asks it usually two different times before Gracie ever responds. His question to me is this. Are you going to stay home all day today, Dad? Are you going to stay home all day today, Dad? And most of the time I look at him and I go, oh, no, not today. I've, I've got to work today. Okay. And then he says next, are you going to stay home all day tomorrow? And about once or twice a week I say yes. But nearly every day I look at him and I say no. And after he's asked those two questions, Gracie comes running up and says, Daddy, are you going to stay home today? Like, did you not hear our conversation? We just had this conversation. And the answer is no. She wasn't paying any attention. And she asks me, and I say, no, Gracie, Daddy's got to go to work. Oh, you got to go to work? Yep, okay. And so I leave. And I'm left with this question in my head nearly every single morning. And I wish they could answer this honestly, but they're not yet to the age where they can. Are they asking me this question because I don't spend enough time with them? Are they asking me this question because when I'm home, I'm not engaged with them? Or maybe am I lucky enough that they're asking me this question because I am engaged with them when I'm home, and I do invest in their lives, and I don't know the answer to that question. I wish I did. Don't you? I wish I knew for sure that I was doing everything I could so that my kids will someday know that their dad cared about them. So there's a few areas of our lives where I think we need to be careful in how we invest our time. And the first one I'll talk about is our work. Some of us in this room work in places and environments in which you get paid more if you work more. Right? Some of you get paid the same whether you work 50 hours or 70 hours. But some of you, it, it money dramatically increases after 40 hours. So I don't know whether you should work more or less. I'm not trying to tell you what you should or shouldn't do. But I'll ask this question, are you making the most of every opportunity? One of the things that I, I'm a firm believer of is that each of us, if we are followers of Jesus, should be the best employees anyone could ever hire. We should work hard. If not, then we're missing that God calls us to do everything in our lives as an act of worship, that everything we do in our life is to be done to the best of our ability. And if we're not doing that, then that's our act of worship as well. 
The reality is if I was an employer, I should want to, only, I should want to hire Christian people. When I'm interviewing, if, if you happen to mention that you have a faith, I should, my eyes should light up and I should want you to be my employee. And so if you're wasteful of your employer's opportunities, then you're not a good steward of your time. For some, that hits a little close to home because we try to waste time in our workplaces. But the reality is if we're followers of Christ, we shouldn't waste our time. We should invest it as an act of worship. And, and some of us need to cut back on our hours of work for certain seasons of life. Some of us need to work a little more. The next, it's our own self. And sometimes we feel like we're a little bit hypocritical when we talk about this idea it's selfish to talk about ourselves. But you realize if you don't sleep, right, you, you become unbearable for people around you. No one can function without sleep for a, a very long period of time. It's just not healthy. One of the things that we sometimes miss is in the Gospels, the reason the temple doesn't matter anymore, the reason that we don't care about a building in terms of faith, I know that's sometimes sacrilegious to say in a church building, but we don't care about a building. You know why? Because the temple of God is no longer a location, but it is us. Now, the implication of that sometimes we don't like, that means are we a good use of our time? That means are we taking care of ourselves? Are we exercising? Are we eating well? If we're not, then we're not good stewards of our time. That one can be a little uncomfortable sometimes. Now, some of us have medical issues, but the reality for most of us is we should take better care of ourselves. It's a part of investing in time. Then spiritually, I mean, this is a part of ourself. Is our, do we take time for ourselves spiritually to grow? Or do we say, yeah, it's important, but... Yeah, I really love Jesus, but... When was the last time you opened your Bible or you spent time in prayer? Why? Hey, how about that game last night, right? Let's switch the subject in a hurry because those are questions that are tough to answer. If our faith actually matters to us, then we invest our time in it. The third area I would mention would be our family and our friends. Do we give our family and our friends our time? Are we present with them or are we totally absent from them? I was guilty a little bit this week on New Year's Day. We were watching football, and, and Katie asked me a question, and I never looked at her. I answered her, but she said, I don't know why I'm talking to you, because you're not looking at me. Well, shouldn't ask during a game, but I should have made eye contact, because it's absolutely true. If you don't invest your time and your energy in those moments to the part of the conversation then I'm not really present there, even if my body's present. Are we using our time wisely? I already mentioned, do my kids get enough of my time? Do your kids, do your grandkids, do the kids who you've met through church, do your neighbors, whoever else you need to be investing in relationally, do they get enough of your time, or do you hoard it for yourself? This is a challenge for us to try to figure out. And then the last one I want to mention is our faith. This area, sometimes you in many ways have shown a good example by coming here today. How we invest our time is a reflection of our values. So by being part of a local church says in many ways to our family and to our friends and to everyone else that I value my relationship with God. I want to try to know who he is and what God is up to in the world. That's why we invest in service to others through serving in the local church and serving in our community. That's why we spend time in prayer. Spend time in the scriptures because our faith matters to us. We were, we've recognized that there's something about the way that God works in and through us, and so we want to be investors in that and want to use our time 
because our kids watch. If our faith matters to us, and we say it matters, but yet we, we don't attend a local church, it doesn't really matter that much to us. Or if we decide to skip for whatever reason on a regular basis, it doesn't really matter that much to us. Kids are perceptive enough to notice that. So does everyone else. The only person we usually fool in those moments is ourselves. As I mentioned before, not all of us have the same size wallet, but we all have the same amount of time. 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour, 24 hours in a day, 365 days a year. I don't know how many years I have left, and neither do you, and none of us, we may not have a year left, or we may have a hundred. We don't really know. But we're still left with the same question, are we investing our lives well? See, at the end of our lives, my kids aren't going to be asking this question. Man, Dad was a great fantasy football player. (laughs) You believe how good he did at fantasy football? I'm so proud of him. They're never going to say that. My kids or your grandkids aren't going to say, man, can you believe they knew who the winner of Dancing in the Stars was every single time? That is not going to be something you hear at a funeral. The question we're left with is, are we making a lasting impact that matters, or do we care more about our temporal enjoyment than we do about impacting the world? Do we recognize that leaving a lasting legacy with our children and our grandchildren and our friends and our co-workers requires our time and investment of being a steward of all that we have and possess and all that we can be? Or do we worry not about self-care, but we worry about selfishness and what I need in this moment, and that's as far as I look. In light of our past and view of our current, Looking to our future hopes and dreams, are we making wise decisions with our time? Are we investing it in ways that matter? Are we wasting it? So that we look back one day and go, oh, man, if only I could get that back. Because you can, you can make money back, you can learn a new skill, but you can never get back lost time. No matter how much we want to, time, once it's gone, it's gone. It doesn't come back. You don't get it on the other end. Every single day that passes, we have less time to live than we had before. So the question is, are we investing our time of stewards of God's love in our life? Are we trying to build a relationship with Him? Are we trying to grow in our relationship with Him? Are we trying to grow in our relationship with our family and with our friends? Are we wasting our time? God calls us to live into better time management, to learn better margins in our life, better boundaries so that we can grow in Him in relationship to one another. Are we investing in people or in stuff? Are we investing in things that will last, that will leave a legacy? Or are we investing in things that will eventually pass away? I don't know the answer for you, and I don't always know the answer for me. But I know at the end of my life, I want my kids to look back and say, man, do you... Our dad really loved us. He really invested in our lives. He invested in the lives of other people. He really did believe this Jesus thing. He really did believe that God was trying to redeem the world, and he used his life to try to help in that process. I really, that's my dream, is that my kids will say that kind of thing at my funeral, because you know what? I don't get to choose what people say at my own funeral, and neither do you. I mean, you can, you can be like some people who I officiate funerals, and they've written out the whole service in advance. What they cannot control is what people say. They can choose the songs, you can choose the music, you can choose the order, you can choose the location, but you cannot control the legacy that you leave. Only your actions and the way you invest your time and your energy 
that's what will determine what's said at the end of your life. And you and I are left with this question, how are we going to invest our time? In this new year, are we going to seek to have a deeper faith? In this new year, are we going to seize every day as if it were our last? Are we going to learn to live every single day as if it's our last, but at the same time, plan as if we might live to be 100? Are we going to learn to make the most of every opportunity to live not as unwise, but as wise? Because I don't know about you, but I really hope this year I do a better job of that than I did last year. I hope at the end of this year that I can say I'm closer to Jesus than I have ever been. I hope at the end of this year that as I look back, as we look back, we say, you know, I didn't think God would do those things, but I invested more time in prayer than I ever had before. In just a few moments, we're going to take communion where we rip off a piece of bread and we dip it in a cup, and someone who's holding the cup or the bread will say to you, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ for you. And we take these elements and they're reminding to us about the grace of God that says to us, even if you have wasted all the time before today, that from this day forward you can reimagine what the time can look like in the future. And it no longer has to be wasted. You can be a steward for me in my world. You can be a part of my redeeming of all things, about recreating all that's broken in the world. You can be a part of that. And so by us taking these elements, this bread and this cup, by eating this bread... It's been dipped in this cup. We recognize it's God's grace for us. His grace that comes in and says, hey, if you've been a bad steward, you don't have to be any longer. Make the most of every top opportunity. Don't live as unwise, but as wise. And the last line of the passage we read was this, always give thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that in Jesus, God is offering this gift of new life. In many ways, he hits the reset button on our life and says, from this day forward. Every time we take communion, it's a reminder that God says, from this day forward. None of us can go back and change the way we have invested time. We may have to give apologies. And for some of us, we may need to do that. But we can choose from this day forward the way we invest every moment of every single day. So in this new year, let's move to a deeper faith. Let's be better stewards of our time. Will you stand with me as we, as we pray? Father, we come before you. Um, we come before you this morning, thankful for the way in which you continue to be at work in our lives. We come before you today, thankful that in your Son, you did something new, something radically different than what had ever been done before, that God comes to us. Not only do you come to us, but you come in such a way that we can find this new life, that we begin to reorient our lives, even the way we spend our time. May we choose to follow you. May we choose to go and make disciples. May we choose to love you and love other people. And so, Father, in these moments as we prepare to take these elements, this broken body and this shed blood, this bread and this cup that represent your love and your grace to us. May we not only be receivers of this grace, but may we be givers of this grace as well. Maybe at the end of our lives, the people will say of us, they lived wise, not unwise. Father, may you be with us in these moments as we prepare to take these elements. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.
I've asked a couple to come and help with communion this morning, and as they come, um, I would invite you to, to, to spend a moment as we prepare to take these elements and that we'd recognize that this bread represents Christ's broken body. And this cup represents Christ's poured out blood for us, um, for the forgiveness of our sins. So as you come to this morning, you'll come and you'll just rip off a small piece. The reason they're holding it with paper towels is so that no one has to touch it where someone else has touched. So tear off your piece, dip it in your cup, or dip it in the cup. Uh, trying to keep your fingers out so those of you don't freak out who are germaphobes. I'm one of them, I get it. But then I'd encourage you, as you put that in your mouth, recognize it's the blood and the body of Christ for you. So I invite you to come out these middle outside aisles. If you're not unable to make it forward, I'll come to you. And I invite you to come at this time as we take these elements.